Welcome back to Stacking Growth, everybody. Carl, how you doing? Oh yeah, we're back. Doing good. Cassidy, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a great day. It's uh, 70 degrees and sunny outside Chicago. I'm standing. I'm doing a podcast standing. I don't normally stand and do a podcast, but it's in the afternoon, so I'm pumped and ready to go. I don't know if anyone can see you, but you're just looking sharp today. I mean, that polo just sets, just sits so nicely on like your shoulders. What is that? What is that? J. Crew, Banana Republic? What are we rocking here, man? You're looking sharp. This is nice. This is, I like this. This is J. Crew, brand new. Wife and daughter picked it up. Probably got it on clearance. That's how I wear most of my stuff. <laughs> Um, it wasn't really nice for you to, today, Carl. And by the way, J. Crew not a sponsor, but can be if they want to be. Stacking growth. If you want to sponsor J. Crew, if you're listening, feel free to reach out for sponsorship opportunity. I would totally rock J. Crews every day if they want to send me a box of polos. So I'm cheap, man. I buy cheap clothes and I pay for it. And it's why I always look like a bum for the most part because I'm cheap and I don't like to spend money on nice clothes, but I should probably refresh and uh, my wardrobe eventually and stop wearing hoodies and t-shirts. So maybe that's a niche of a niche, niche of a niche sales and marketing guys talking on a podcast about nothing. That could be like Jay Cruz new segment. <laughs> We're an untapped. You, you look good with the Jay. You can rock in that beard with your Jay crew. Jay crew, man. I mean, look, if Patagonia can tap into the tech bro space of SaaS sales, I feel like J. Crew could find a niche too. Right now, Patagonia is undefeated. Blue Ocean, no compet, no, there's no, there's no competitive apparel for B two B SaaS. I feel like it's something that, uh, you know, uh, retail companies in general they sleep on like the B two B tech space. Man, there's more opportunity here for them. I feel like than, uh, and they don't pay enough attention to us. So we we definitely need a new look. I mean, the Patagonia. You know, startup vest from the uh, COVID days. I mean, that that's over. It's it's I, it's, it's, it's the lead gen. It's the lead gen of apparel. Like it's done. It's the lead gen of apparel. It doesn't work. It's ineffective. Like we need the demand gen of apparel. Maybe it's J. Crew. Maybe it's Banana Republic. I don't know. But you it, know, times were good when every sales guy I got on the phone with was wearing Patagonia. Then you then you knew that it was the gravy train days, and we're out of the gravy train days. We it's are hard, hard to get business done these days. We are out of the gravy train days, which is a good segue, Cassidy. So we want to talk to you about like high level business, how it's changed. I think it's like a platitude sort of to be like, yeah, our business has changed post COVID. But I don't know if companies are taking it seriously enough again they're, they're they're paying lip service to it like yeah business changed sales has changed the world has changed everybody says this stuff like but it's like a platitude it doesn't like leak into their strategy a lot of times i'll give you an example we tell a strong kind of you know story at refine labs for years of how like b2b buying has changed and how people learn and research and discover products, discover services, et cetera. Right? We've got our we've got our talk track for like change. And I think like it's really rare to talk to somebody and they don't they don't agree with that premise or assumption. But you look at their playbook, so and their strategy, and it's just like you don't believe that B2B buying has changed. You're putting ebooks in the feed still. So you think or you say that B2B buying exchange, you believe that, but companies have a hard time like really wrestling with how does that look though in our strategy? How does that shift 
how we go to market. Because this isn't just a marketing thing, it's a sales thing too. It's a customer success thing, right? It, it, it affects the entire revenue organization. And so today, I wanted to riff with you on just maybe like what we're seeing, what companies can be doing to, you know, take this more seriously. What does it look like from a tactical standpoint? Um, and just kind of jam on, you know, what are some of the risks if you don't really pay attention or you kind of just continue to pay lip service to some of these trends that are kind of causing, you know, seismic shifts in the market um, and affecting everybody's bottom line. I love this topic. Let's get into it. Um, Let's get into I it. I think to your point, we you hear this in every discussion. We have it in our company. You hear it in our customers. Obviously, doing business has gotten, gotten a lot more difficult than it has been over the last three or four years. I think the mistake we all make is we think it's we think it's temporary, mm. and it's not. Like we're back to like how business uh, has always been done. And that it is difficult to get a customer to part with money and to choose your products and services. And what I would say is like over the last three or four years when it wasn't difficult, that was the exception. And so I think to your point of, we tell this narrative about why it changed and how we buy has changed and how the companies adapt to it. People didn't have to really lean into that before because basically everything they did worked. Yeah. And now what we're finding is um, most of those things that you're doing that were actually pretty mediocre don't work anymore because we're back to reality. And so, you know, when we look out there and we talk to customers and prospects and in the market in general, this notion of why change and how to tell that story and that narrative for your company to your buyers, more important than ever. Yep. Yeah. And it, when I think back to COVID, even my selling days at HubSpot, we weren't pushed to tell a why change narrative during COVID, right? Because there was an enormous amount of demand to be captured. And when demand is ready to be captured, if you think about it, that that demand is already, for the most part, convinced that they need to change, right? And so why change that narrative really needs to be spoken in, in, in closely aligns with kind of like the create demand category of activities um, or that playbook. And then the kind of like the opposite of why change is why us, why the vendor, why choose Refine Labs, why choose HubSpot, Gong, whatever the, your product is you're selling or service you're selling. And I think we got lazy during COVID because we didn't really like there was an enormous amount of demand to be captured. Everyone was convinced they needed to change. Everyone knew they needed to record their calls. Everybody knew they couldn't. Their, their, their sales reps were all distributed now and working from home. You can't work in a spreadsheet. You know, you need you need a CRM. Right. So like the whole world, because of COVID and the shift in business and work from working from home in a row, everyone always sold on why you need to change. So for a marketer and a salesperson, it was just explaining why us, why choose Gong over Chorus, why choose HubSpot over Salesforce, why choose Refine Labs over some other agency. It was easy. It was like, okay, I could pretty much just pitch you products, features. I could show you a case study. I could show you some testimonials. I could you know, give you a customer reference. I could discount the price. I'm going to close the deal, right? Those are all things that kind of fall into this why us. They answer the question of why choose us? Uh, why choose Refine Labs? Why choose HubSpot? And now today, what I'm seeing is everyone's freaking out. The results are down because buyers 
you, you, you skip a step. If you go straight to why us in all of your messaging and positioning, whether it's marketing or sales, you're skipping a step. Buyers aren't there with you. They're not at why us, right? You're, you're further along than them. They're at like, why change? Why do I need to change from this product to this product? Why do I need to start thinking differently about my marketing? Before I could sell somebody Refine Labs to be the team that executes their strategy, I have to sell them on the first deal, which is like, you need to change the way you think about marketing. You need to change the way you like lead gen. You need to change from lead gen to demand gen as a, as a mindset. You need to believe that first. And so again, going back to why everyone's freaking out, you see this in the sales guru world, right? Everybody's like, everybody's got a template now for like business cases. Why is that the case? Because salespeople are scrambling to figure out how do I make a case for change and make it more, and then make a more compelling case for why me? Because this is a lot harder. So I'll end my riff there and end it with one comment to highlight something you said that was, you know, was, was, was super important. Um, which is that we are not going back to the COVID days. That was an anomaly. We are not, I don't think we're in a downturn. I think we're in a normalization. This is what business is like. And it's always, it's hard. It's scrappy. You have to convince people that are a mess and that have a million different priorities that they need to change and think differently about whatever their priorities and challenges are. You need, they need to reshift their priorities. And then they need to consider choosing you. That's normal business. It's hard. And I don't think a lot of folks really understand that that's going to change the skill set that you bring to the table. It changes how like you need to, we all, we all need to like relearn, re-upskill, especially if you just kind of started in the B2B, you know, marketing or, or sales space in the last five to seven years, this is a totally new world for you. What I really like about the, the framework and how you outline this is you kept it super simple. Carl's kind of the king of simple, which I like it. I why know. change? Why us? Yeah. Literally two questions. Why change? Why us? You need to answer the first one before you get to the second one. One of the things I've observed, and I know we've talked quite a bit about this, and, and it worries me a little bit, and that is I see this dialogue about why change more and more in the market from sales, but I don't see it from marketers. In fact, all the topics I see in marketing are everything else, but how do I tell a story about why change for my business or for myself? And so what's interesting is marketers are all they're focused on tech. They're focused on attribution. They're focused on a bunch of stuff. But what I never hear a dialogue around is, how do I tell a why change story? Meanwhile, you, the sales team, the sales organization, the sales bros are all scrambling to figure this out. Yep. And the reason is because we've created a marketing engine machine in B2B where we kind of push the accountability to actually market and sell to the sales team. We capture some leads by doing no real marketing. And we throw those over to the sales team and then we tell the sales team, now it's your job to figure out the why change story and the why yes story and close the deal. I know I'm being pretty harsh, but I don't know any other answer to this. Like, why are we not talking about this? this is the fundamental job of marketing is to convey your unique 
narrative point of view, your why change to the market. Yeah. And most companies we run into aren't doing that at all. And that's why win rates are being affected because you've got, again, old world, right? COVID era, marketing didn't have to do that. They could just put features in the feed, in their advertising. They would get signups, right? It was like the, the golden era of PLG. I would argue we are, we are past that. Um, but the golden era of PLG, right? Where it's like you could basically sell with the product. The underlying assumption there is that the buyer is already convinced they need to change. That assumption is no longer true. I don't want to go on a bash fest of PLG. You know how I feel about PLG. But like that entire go-to-market model was built around the fact that this person knows they need to change already. So they're just going to go into the product and probably self-serve and buy their way to it. That's not going to, that's not, that's, that's not true. That world isn't true anymore. And that's why salespeople are scrambling. You're right, because marketing's delivering leads of, you know, people with varying buying intent and sales has to start from the beginning, almost as if it's cold. Right. Almost as if it's cold outbound. And that's why we see win rates dropping dramatically because they have to go back to the beginning with the buyer and be like, you came inbound. This is like you, you've got all the wrong assumptions. This is why you need to change in the first place. And now we can kind of get to, you know, why you need to consider us as, you know, kind of your vendor. And for, for the sales teams that are figuring this out. Yeah, man, you, closing deals is, you know, like it's a great way to separate yourself, but marketing is going to have to catch up if they want their results to be improved. And here's a challenge, Cassidy. Let me know if you think this is a challenge or not. I think that marketers, this is a business acumen thing. I think that marketers are again, great at selling their piece of tech. They know all about it. They know about that industry, right? Like let's say you're selling like a, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a SEP, right? A sales engagement platform like Outreach or, or Sales Loft. You know everything there is to know about that, but what you might not know is how an executive team thinks about outbound as a part of their broader go-to-market strategy and comparing an investment in that to other places in the business they could be investing dollars to drive maybe the same or more growth. That is a more complex business level conversation. And I don't know marketers from a business acumen standpoint, some of them of course are world-class at it, but they're in the same boat as sales. Like we all have to level up on just corporate, like business acumen. How do decisions get made? How are CEOs thinking about growth? Um, and how do CEOs evaluate opportunities to drive growth and leverage, right? You think about it, here's an example, like you're gonna buy Lavender, right? The email, the AI like tool that like grades your emails and helps you write better emails. The priority that they're tying to is, well, if you, you know, get better reply rates and better re positive responses, you drive more pipeline and revenue. Okay, so the priority there that they're tethering to is pipeline and revenue. Well, there are a million different ways that you can drive pipeline and revenue. So Lavender, as an example, has to convince and sell a company that they not only need to buy Lavender but that this is the most important growth lever to hit pipeline and revenue goals. So now they're not only competing with other AI tools, but they're competing with other pieces of tech that are claiming the same stuff, maybe like a BI tool like Looker or Falcon or Clary, because they're claiming pipeline and revenue. And then there's marketing and agencies also vying for that same budget. So a CEO is not just Lavender versus some other AI tool, but it's like, there are 10 different areas I can invest these dollars to drive pipeline and revenue. Which one is going to be the best? It takes a very special kind of marketing and sales team to 
follow a CEO along that entire decision. It's not even a buyer's journey. It's like a decision-making journey as to where to invest. Why? Because there's not a million dollars to invest anymore, right? So I have to be more specific or with, with I place my bets. I don't think that marketing and sales teams are prepared to think through that entire decision-making journey. They don't have the skills or the knowledge to do that. They don't have the business acumen to do that. You crack that code, you win. Why, why do you think they don't have this business acumen? I, a couple reasons. That's a good question. You caught me by surprise there. That's a good one. Um, I don't think there's a clear cut way in how to develop business acumen. I, so my answer there is like, first answer to your question is like, it's freaking hard to develop business acumen, right? How did you, like you probably have some of the highest caliber of business acumen of anyone I know. Don't let that go to your head. All right. So last time I'm going to say that, but like, you look at how you acquired that, right? Look at who you used to work. I mean, you started out like Price Waterhouse, like these great companies. You got your MBA, you've worked for different, you've had a bunch of different leadership positions. So like, I think a part of it is just like time in the water. Like you just got to have like been there, done that for a while. Now, how do you accelerate the learning of business acumen? I think you have to pursue that education like very intentionally. It's not listening to gong calls. It's not like, it's not going to be found in sales guru courses. It's not going to be found in sales books. It's not going to be found, you know, uh, in exit five, which is a great community, but there's a bunch of tactical advice. I think you have to be really intentional. First of all, Cassidy of where you are learning and what the goal is of your learning. I want to deeply understand how a CEO and a board of directors makes investment decisions and how a business operates. That's hard. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, I don't know that people actually realize that this is the root cause of their pain underneath it all. I think they're like, oh, but it's product market fit. And, oh, we need to just do more. Like our salespeople need more enablement or more decks, right? It's like more tactics. We need to spend more. We need to figure out LinkedIn. They think incorrectly about what the problem is. My hypothesis and assumption is that the problem underneath it all is business acumen. So I think like you got to believe that that is a problem. I think it's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think experience helps. I'm old, been around the block, learn these things as uh, as I went. You see a bunch of different companies, environments, and um, yeah, that does help. But so how do you accelerate it? I think you said something very, um, very insightful which is unusual. Um, most of the effort that we put into our daily marketing and sales is around tactics to try to get better at why us. And we put almost no effort into figuring out the broader narrative around why change. And being able to put language on this, I think is the first step to create awareness for businesses and marketing and sales teams to kind of take a look at what they're doing and just realize that you're putting all your effort into optimizing a YS story with marginal return on that investment when you should be spending all your time and obsession on the why change story and getting smarter and smarter about that. And you're never done. You're always honing that story and learning something new 
digging into your market, digging into your customers and why they buy or don't buy. You really try to, it's a lot of work to figure that out and to stay on top of it. But if you think about the best marketers and the best sellers, they're the best because they do that really well. There's seldom a framework for that. There's seldom books written on it. You certainly don't see a lot of LinkedIn posts on it. But I'd maintain that's the thing that differentiates the top 10% from everybody else. Well, look at look at who the, the companies that we love the most, right, are, are doing really well in their marketing and sales, right? To go back to Lavender as an example, they're not selling Lavender as a product. They're really selling Lavender as a service. Like they're re-educating teams on how to write good business emails, right? That is not, there's nothing to do with their product. Their product supports that thing, that service. But they're really saying like the way you think about email is incorrect. And this, if you don't change, you're not going to book any meetings. You're not going to make any money, right? You look at Gong, how they shifted away from like, why choose us as your call transcriptions tool? That's not, that wasn't their narrative, right? Their narrative was, if you don't pay attention to the gold and the insights that are in your everyday conversations, you're going to fall behind. You know, Refine Lab, same thing. If you don't change from lead gen and pay attention to how you're measuring your marketing, you are going to fall behind. You are going to fail. You are already failing. Let me explain to you why you're failing. It's because you're running lead gen. Let me make sense of your pain for you for a second, right? It's like the doctor analogy, you know, like I go to the doctor with pain. I don't know what it is, right? It could be a lot of things. It could be because I'm old, because I worked out too hard. I slept wrong. Could be something worse, right? Like a disease, they make sense of my pain. The best companies make sense of pain. They help you to better understand your own problems. And that's, again, now ushers in kind of a, an environment where we can now talk about, well, here's the, an alternative. It's nothing to do with our product or service. This is why you need to change. Do this without, I say this in our sales conversation at Refine Labs all the time. This is, this is what you have to do. Don't do it with Refine Labs if you don't want to, but this is the work that's necessary. Choose another agency to help you do it or try to do it yourself. Go for it. But this it doesn't matter. Regardless of who you choose, this is a work that has to get done. And so as soon as marketers can figure out how to do that and how to communicate that in the feed, right? They have a little bit of a harder job because salespeople get the, the luxury of, of, of entire conversations to, to tell this story. Marketers don't. You get one second in the feed to kind of pique someone's interest. But then I would read an ebook on why change, right? Like, I, like I, again, we listen to podcasts. On wine change. Here's another. Here's another interesting thing, Cassie. I'll bring up Gartner. Right? You've seen the stat. Every salesperson thinks this is like doom and gloom stat. I think it's an opportunity for marketing teams. Gartner says five percent of purchasing decisions, of buying processes, the only five percent is spent with a salesperson, and that five percent is split between a couple of vendors, typically. So, like one salesperson at like Refine Labs or at HubSpot or some tech company really only is getting like one to 2% of time because they're splitting that with maybe a couple other competitors. What an amazing opportunity for marketing. You influence, can influence properly if, you, if you're doing it right. 95%, right? So if, if only 5% is spent with sales, 95% we could argue is spent with marketing in the feed, in communities, on social, in Google, learning, researching, exploring, etc. What a what a enormous failure to focus that 95% of energy on 
why us? Here's a case study. Here's these feature set, right? When you totally ignore, help me make sense of my world. Like what is going on? Why am I experiencing this pain? Where do I learn to think differently about how I might tackle cold email, marketing on LinkedIn, community, PLG, companies that crack that code. Look at Liquid Death. They sell cans of water, dude. Cans of water. Look at their advertising. It all talks about why we need to change our consumption habits around plastic, right? They're like death to plastic and all their stuff. I don't know if you've seen their new advertising. It's freaking hilarious. Um, they're using plastic. I don't know if you've seen it in like plastic surgery, right? So like people are like stuffing bottles into like people, then it's, it's ridiculous, but there, why change, right? Why do we need to change how we consume water? And all they do is, <laughs> is freaking sell cans of water. It's amazing. But again, it's a good example of like a B2C with a narrative in the marketplace of why we need to change. And then the, the sale naturally happens. And I spend $5 a for a can of water because I freaking love the brand, even though they probably bottle it in the same place Dasani does. So I'll stop rambling, but anything there you want to dig into? Well, I think the example you gave at the end of liquid death is a, is a good one because in B2B, we, we tend to hold our B2C brethren on a pedestal in terms of like their ability to do marketing. In, in many cases, we should because, as you pointed out, they're selling water. They're doing it in a unique way. They figured out the why change in order to sell water. They're not selling water. Yeah, they're selling, they're selling change and impact on the they're climate. Change. And, and so I was joking the other day with Kaylee that, yes, I went to business school way many years ago, back when it may have mattered. That's a different topic for another day. And, you know, this business school is well known for turning out world-class marketers. Just tell us what plant Cassidy. Just just name drop. What is it? Where'd you go? Did you go to Harvard? Where, where'd you go? I went to Kellogg and Northwestern. Kellogg and, uh, and you know, Northwestern. This guy. You. We need to get you a Patagonia vest, man. You know, back in the day when I was there, number one business school in the world. I think now it's only top five. Um, but you know, I digress. The thing that they're really good at in terms of marketing was turning out B two C marketers, and. I didn't go there because I wanted to learn about marketing. It was the furthest thing from my mind. There's only one thing I remember from the school in terms of marketing, and it's the acronym STP. And so we love frameworks. So here's one for everybody to kind of start your journey and how to figure out why change. It stands for segmentation, targeting, and positioning. Very technical and boring terms. But this is how, C, how CPG and B2B, B2C companies do it. They spend all their time understanding the market and the audience, segmenting that down. Who are the types of people who are really going to buy what I have to sell? Who are the types of people who really want to change and how can I bring my product or service to that change? How do I then target them? How do I get in front of this audience? Who is this audience? How do I get in front of them? And then what's my story? What's my narrative? What's my position in order to drive that change in behavior? And it feels really simple. And I can hear B2B marketers saying, yeah, I do that as well. I go to LinkedIn. I create an audience. 
And I got my demographics, you know, companies uh, between 50 employees and 250 employees, and they're in these sectors and industries. And I created an audience. I've narrowed it down. I'm targeted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about psychographics. I'm talking about behavioral. I'm talking about going off and talking to people and really figuring out how do I look at the market in its entirety? How do I carve it up? And how do I decide who I'm going to take my story to? And then how do I build that story? And they obsess over this. And then we see the great output and we tell these stories of liquid death and so forth and so on. Did you catch the CEO and the founder on a podcast and you hear the process he went through to figure out how to sell water in a new way? And it's amazing. And that's where you really get the essence of what we're talking about here. That is, to me, marketing. All this other stuff, tech and attribution and paid this and paid that, those are all important enablers. But the thing that makes you a world-class marketer is that. Figuring out the why change story. Figuring out how you dissect a market, how you decide who you're going to target, and how do you create that position, that story of why change. So put that into chat GPT or Bard or go Google it. There's a lot of research out there on like how to actually do that correctly. Segmentation, targeting, positioning, obsess over that. Become an expert at that. I guarantee you'll be in the top 10% of marketers or sellers in the world if you can do that well. Yeah, and I would just add an additional layer to that. Whenever you're asking questions, doing your research, again, it's not just why does somebody choose Refine Labs. It's like, how do they make business decisions and how do they evaluate and think through their own challenges, right? Because everybody has their own kind of mental models for thinking through this stuff. So it's just a layer deeper of understanding. Like, I don't want this to turn into like, you got to understand your buyer platitude, but I think we just scratched the surface in B2B. We're like, yeah, we understand them. They they scroll LinkedIn. They, uh, you know, they, yeah, yeah they, you know, okay, uh, most CEOs are, okay, uh, you know, white male over 45. All right, cool. Like, that's not enough, right? Yeah, most of them are on Reddit. Most of them do this. Most of them do that. Those are like really high level, vague, psychographic, demographic, firmographic behaviors or attributes think the challenge is pushing deeper than that. Like, how does this person think? How do they view the world? Uh, what's the lens through which they understand their business? That is, I think, the level of work that a liquid death has done, right? They do like their small little research studies. They have people drink different waters. They, I mean, they, they spend thousands of dollars on this kind of stuff. B2B, we don't. We'll do a customer, a, a couple customer research like interviews and ask a bunch of crappy questions like, hey, how do you buy? Oh, the CFO's involved. Well, what does a CFO care about? Oh, ROI. Oh, great. Okay, now we have a playbook. It's like, that's not, it's not nearly deep enough. So the challenge here and the charter here is y'all gotta push deeper. And I think I'm gonna make it Cassidy's problem to develop a framework and post it on LinkedIn. We're gonna work on this. The deliverable from Stacking Growth Podcast is how do we develop a why change narrative? Um, and button that up, we're going to do that. We're going to give that to our audience, Cassidy. I'm going to let you lead it, but we're going to do that for them. You commit to that? I appreciate you putting me on the spot like that, Carl. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I think there's... The world needs it. 
Yeah, I think in business I came in in two dimensions. This, you know, how do you understand the market and dissect the, the story and to get the why change? And the other, and maybe we can tackle this one too, is you need to also look at your position in the market, your company, your strengths, your weaknesses, how you make money, what are your limitations? Because, you know, it's one thing to come up with an amazing why change story. But it's another to be able to actually deliver on that. Yeah. And so you obviously want to do that in a way that your company, your company strategy and structure can support that story. So you kind of got to understand the market and the landscape, et cetera, but also your place in it. And then deeper than where that, you, start. you just started your framework. So dissecting the market and the major trends that are impacting your personas or your ICP's businesses, you could think of that as like a macro layer. Un- un- dissecting that the next layer deeper is dissecting your position inside that market, right? How are you different from your competitors? If I look at your website, you're probably not at all in any way, apparently different, right? So that's a, that's an angle and a dimension positioning inside that market. Um, and then, and again, how that supports like a wide change narrative, right? And then the final, I think layer here is then dissecting the buyer you know, um, dissecting the economic buyer, the decision makers, the decision making teams, dissecting them. How do they make decisions, et cetera? So we've got market at a macro level in the economy. It's like B2B buying has changed, right? That would be like a macro level shift of why you need to start paying attention. Then what's your position in the market? Okay, there's a bunch of agencies that provide these services, these services, these services. Let's do some customer research and figure out where is there an underserved portion of this market potentially, and how do we position against that or with that? And then finally, again, how do buyers buy? Why do they choose us? How do they transform their organizations? How do they change? How does this work mechanically inside of an organization? feels like that's the start of the framework right there. Yeah, that's a good start. And you know, there's a lot of, um, we had this conversation, there's a lot of good frameworks out there. Andy Raskin's got a good one that kind of goes through this story brand there's a bunch of others i think what we can do is fill in some of the gaps and use some of what's already good and put together something that's a little bit more comprehensive because well these frameworks are good little tactical these frameworks are good cliff note versions of like how to do this work yeah but in many cases i don't find them detailed enough yeah like prescriptive enough the story brand andy raskin awesome stuff what I think it looks like, you can come onto the podcast and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, what I think they're missing is like, what does that mean for a director of demand gen at your company? Like, what does that look like in an ad or in an ad strategy or for a salesperson? Like, what does that look like on a sales call? Um, what does that look like in a business case? How does that like really impact my day to day, my cadences, the emails that I write? I don't know that some of those frameworks go that deep. And I think that's where Refine Labs can support kind of our audience. Good stuff, man. You want to wrap up? Yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot. I'll uh, get right on that. I got nothing else to do, Carl. So Yeah, you're not super busy. Um, I'm looking at your calendar. It's not super solid back-to-back yeah. meetings. So I'm sure you can carve some time for this. Yeah, I'll get right on that. Um, but yeah, we'll put something together and we'll come back and talk through it. And Furthermore, we're going to put this in action with a couple of clients and see how it works. Yeah. And if you're interested in piloting something like this or having a conversation, if any of you, God rest your soul, if you've made it this far, like just God bless you. 
but if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this, holler at us. Maybe we can figure out something with your company. Um, so that's it. It's a wrap. I love it. Thanks, Carl. Why change? Why us? That's where you need to start. Us. Spend all your time on why us and start spending more time on why change. Amen. Thanks, Cassidy. Later. See ya.